Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, detectives. Now, we are hard at work going into these cold, cold months ahead, finishing the scripts for season two of Fox and Stallion. And as a thank you for all of your patience in this great mystery-solving hiatus of 2023, we come bearing gifts. Now, today's gift is the first episode of the fantastic show, Greater Boston. If you've managed to find our little indie show, chances are you've at the very least heard of Greater Boston. And if you haven't had the chance to dive in yet... Let this be your sign from the universe to do that. Now, this sprawling ensemble tale of absurdism, community, and storytelling itself has been running since 2016 and takes place in a fictionalized version of, you guessed it, Boston. It's an alt-universe urban fantasy in which the subway's red line secedes to form an independent city that roams beneath the streets of Boston. It features a sprawling ensemble cast of characters with intersecting lives. An unemployed cartoonist tasked with caretaking a newborn city, a grieving alcoholic determined to live the life his lost friend wanted for him, and an agoraphobic mayoral candidate motivated by her memory of Boston's historic bus riots are just a few of them. It's part genuine, heartwarming community story, part modern-day satire, and part absurdist comedy. And it, it, it is best experienced by, uh, trust me, just diving right in. It is an absolute banger from minute one. You will not be disappointed. We could not be happier to introduce to you today, Greater Boston. Enjoy. Leon Stamatis died on a roller coaster at the age of 32. It was not a dramatic death. His car did not detach from the rails. His body did not loose itself from its seat. His death was quiet. Unobtrusive. In that way, you could even say that Leon found the kind of death he'd always planned for. He'd had profound misgivings about boarding the ride in the first place. He'd never been an adventurer. Not like his little brother Dimitri, who had disappeared into the mysterious labyrinth of the world. Nor a thrill-seeker like Nika, who grinned wider for every inch the line advanced. It had been Nika who had goaded Leon into coming here in the first place, escorting him via the red line from Porter Square to Park Street, briefly boarding the green line to reach the government center connection, where they boarded the Stygian blue line, which ferried them mercilessly to its terminus. Wonderland. Once there, Nika insisted that the absurdly named roller coaster be their first stop, pulling him by the cuff of his sleeve. She had brought him out here specifically to cheer him up after the end of his most recent relationship. She saw not so much a responsibility as an opportunity to be useful, and Leon felt obliged to indulge her, to allow her that pride of having comforted a loved one in need. So he put on his smile, took deep breaths, 
and shuffled along the crowd control maze that guided him toward his destiny. He knew he could change his mind. It's not as though he had inscribed this into his schedule. The trip itself, sure, it was right there in his Google Calendar. Post-relationship outing with Nika. Destination, Wonderland. But nothing committing to the roller coaster. Certainly not some rickety monster called, good lord, Whirladon? And if it wasn't on his schedule, then he didn't have to do it. He reminded himself with every step. As he approached the polo-shirted teen with the child measuring rod, he reminded himself. As he stepped off the platform into the third car from the front, he reminded himself. But when the shoulder cage descended over his head, he realized he was too late. The appointment was confirmed. He didn't even mind so much that his relationship had fallen apart. He was more concerned about the precarious state of his job. He'd found the relationship stressful. Luisa expecting outings on a moment's notice, to movies, to dance clubs, all the way to the North End for Florentine cannoli at Mike's Pastry. It wouldn't have been so bad if only she had planned ahead, given him a month's warning, or maybe two. Heck, he liked North End, where the streets were permanently tacky from the Great Molasses Flood, so you had to slow down your step just a little, or the sidewalks would pull your shoes right off. But Luisa sprang things on him. Cooking classes, and dinner reservations, and IMAX showings of documentaries about Antarctica. It was too much. The operator released the cars, and Leon was jerked forward. He laughed once, the way a condemned man laughs when he doesn't quite believe what's coming. Nika misunderstood, gave him a nod and a grin. As the car rose, Leon began planning. He would keep his hands and arms inside the car, of course. He would not give up his one means of anchoring himself should the safety harness fail. There weren't any good handholds. Holding the harness itself wouldn't help. If the harness detached, he'd just have a good grip on it as they flew off into the atmosphere together. But there wasn't even a lap bar, since the five-point harness was expected to suffice. Leon was not so trusting. He understood the need to be proactive, to ensure his own security. That was why he'd begun job hunting, despite having a job in which he'd been content for ten years. The publishing industry was shrinking. He had survived the first round of layoffs, but he needed to be ready for the second. The cars clacked, dragged forward by the chain through the ratcheting mechanism of the side rails. He understood that this was a safety system, an assurance that the cars could never fall backwards, simultaneously snapping the necks of every passenger on the train. Understanding made the sound no less ominous. Up they clacked. Up and up and up. He couldn't believe how far up, how long they ascended, whole lifetimes passing while Nika bounced in the seat beside him. He had never been good at anticipation. There was no joy in it for him, only the dread of uncertainty, the panic of surprise. As a child, he had refused to open his own Christmas presents, insisting that Nika and Dimitri do it for him while he waited in the next room with his eyes closed. His siblings reported back to him dutifully, carefully detailing what they had found 
most significant presence first, so as to ease the greatest anxieties, then continuing in order of diminishing value to end in the familiar safety of socks and number two pencils. Only once he knew every item, had assuaged all lingering mystery, would he dare to set eyes on the totems of affection his family had chosen for him. He discovered that if he stretched his arms far enough, he could hook his fingers under the bottom of the seat itself. The metal was filthy and unpolished in this unseen space. It cut into his fingers. He calculated dates to reassure himself that his tetanus inoculations were current. They were. So that was one less thing, at least. Tetanus was not among the uncertainties. Leon could bear no uncertainty. He was the sort who would gladly accept knowledge of the exact time and cause of his death, given the opportunity. He wouldn't even try to change that fate. The knowing would be enough. More than enough. Better than avoiding it only to land back in the limbo of uncertainty. He'd even applied for a position at an astrology magazine. Not because he believed in astrology, which he did not, but simply because he respected the art's goal. The complete elimination of the unknown. A life without surprises, without the unexpected, without unanticipated terrors. However much about the world changed, superstition would always be a constant, perhaps all the more so in times of upheaval. Just look at Dimitri, run off into the woods in search of implausible creatures, or Nika hanging her hopes on chance encounters with famous strangers. Yes, astrology was a counterintuitively solid post to which Leon could tie his ship. He thought about all of that during the interminable rise along the track, but soon enough all that time was reduced to a mere blip, the end come much too soon, as Leon saw the passengers in the head car raise their hands in the air just before disappearing over the zenith of the track, followed by the second car, and then there he was, at the peak, looking out over the edge at a 200-foot vertical drop, followed by an array of twists and loops. He tried to make the calculations, to consider how best to turn his body, or shift his weight, or anchor his hands, but he knew it was hopeless. Whatever was going to happen would happen far too fast for any of his careful preparations to mean anything at all. Either his little pod would drive itself into the ground with crushing force, or it wouldn't. It would fly free of its rails. Or it wouldn't. It would kill him. Or it wouldn't. There was no solution to this puzzle, save to wait and hope. And now here was Nika tossing her hands in the air with no concerns at all. Leon just couldn't do it. He took one look from atop that rickety wave of track, that dizzying array of speed and surprise, and embraced the greatest certainty he could muster. He muttered a single word. Nope. Then preemptively expired. Willfully exited the world, without feeling even the first breeze of dissent. This is an advertisement. My name is Leon Stamatis. 
I worked in the publishing industry for several years. I am currently dead. Not just him. The singing telegram guy, too. I would. But we're coming up on our stop. Rewire a wife, relieve our strife, remove the knife. And who have you in mind to lob the first tone or whatever ceremonial silliness? Choose to be the best Ben Affleck you can be. Turns out nobody ever wanted to... Watch me kill Superman. Do you have any properties with two? I don't know where this guy gets his information, but it's like he's got a crystal ball or something. We're certainly not Muppets. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Cheese balls! How could he have a B, C, D, and E train, but no A train? That seems a little far-fetched, doesn't it? She enabled my saviors to rescue me from that malevolent villain's secret laboratory. Urgh, this is so awkward. I think he'd like a book about lockpicking. No cheese, no ketchup. A single fresh pickle. You hire me, this is what you fucking get. Along with a badass veterinarian who will nurse every one of your animals back to health with love and medical fucking know-how. Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, Brian, Jonestown, Massacre. Season 4 of Greater Boston finally coming this fall of 2022. It's a weird spot to be living in. The Fable and Folly Network where fiction producers flourish. This is Yanni, and welcome to season two of Harlem Queen. Thank you for listening. The season picks up with the search for Michelle. You are listening to the Floyd J. Kelvin program. And now, straight to the headlines. Manhattan debutante and socialite Michelle Mondesir has been kidnapped from her Connecticut boarding school. There is a tri-state search for Mademoiselle Mondesir, who is 15 years of age, Caucasian, and was last seen yesterday evening going to her dormitory. Stephanie is frantic and she risks all in order to find her missing daughter. We will find Michelle. There are troopers all along the New Jersey and Pennsylvania highways. That's not enough. Madame Stephanie St. Clair posted a $10,000 reward for information that leads to the safe return of Ms. Mondesir. You need to take down your reward, Stephanie. I will not. Those no-good couples are already saying she's dead. The connection between the debutante and the numbers queen is unclear. And Stephanie still has to contend with Luciano and Schultz plotting to push her out of her own turf. Word on the street is that it's Schultz. Who cares about a lost colored girl? This one is white. Fifth Avenue debutant, a lot of money, well connected. And I want to find out why Stephanie is so fixated on the girl. Stephanie is highly invested in her safe return. What do you need me to do? I need you to cheese it. What about Sinclair? You tried to clip her twice. Is she pushing up daisies? No. We're going to get her another way. Even Halstein is suspicious. Is he truly a friend or a foe? She's putting herself behind the eight ball. There's something more there, and I need to find out. In the meantime, someone has to earn the money she's deciding not to earn. You have no power in this case, Stephanie. In fact, you're a liability. I will do everything in my power to get her home safe and sound. Listen up for season two. Harlem Queen is a recipient of the Lower Manhattan Cultural Council's Creative Engagement Grant. And once we all get through this safe and sound, we will have a live radio show of Harlem Queen this fall. 
more episodes to come. Take good care and stay well. Thank you.